everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast. Starring myself, Frankie, my co-host Marcus, and for this episode, a special guest host. You've seen her before on Instagram Lives, Shelby Slower. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, Shelby will be the main fashion correspondent for Breakpoint Podcast from here out. Yes. And uh, she's joining us <laughs> to uh, uh, break down episodes three, four, and five. We're going to be wrapping up part one of um, the Breakpoint Netflix documentary. But for Breakpoint Podcast, this will be part two of the breakdown. So we're going to start with episode three, which chronicles Taylor Fritz's run at Indian Wells. Uh, the episode title is California Dreamin', uh, which is in reference to the fact that A, Indian Wells is in Palm Springs, California, and B, the fact that Taylor Fritz himself is from uh, Southern California. So it was a little bit of a hometown win for him. Spoiler alert at the end there. So, Shelby, we'll start with you. What did you think of the episode? What stood out for you? Um, the the California accents really really stood out. That man has some major vocal fry. Um, his girlfriend is is a girl. Um, I don't love Taylor Fritz. Um, but interesting to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love how he was like about to be in the final of Indian Wells. And he was like, no, seriously, guys, like my ankle hurts. And then he like won. I don't know. <laughs> the whole episode, I was like, okay. Um, yeah. Not my favorite. Not my favorite guy. But he is American and we're supposed to root for them. Is Interesting. Interesting wow. on the Taylor Fritz cold take. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah, Sorry, I'm assuming are you more are you career. are you more like Team Tiafo, for example? Like are you more a Tiafo fan? If I have to pick an American, I think Tiafo is like more fun. I like the fun personality playing games, you know. All right. Yeah. Well, Breakpoint Podcast does not endorse burning the American flag. So <laughs> <with> that. Um, <laughs> um, Marcus, why don't you give us your thoughts on uh, this one? I thought this was uh, I thought this was one of the better ones out of the out of the whole series. I thought this was probably top two for me. Uh, I really like the way that they kind of that the way that Taylor let them kind of film his preparation for the tournament, his discussing the whole tournament behind the scenes, you know, while on the practice court, busting his ankle, talking to his coaches about, you know, hey, listen, like, oh, we should play. No, no, you shouldn't play. Let's get this thing injected. OK, like, you know, I might never have this opportunity again. I thought that was really, really neat. Um yeah, Taylor basically looks like also a Hollywood movie star. Dude is incredibly good looking. Very, very jealous. Uh, not going to lie there. No, you know, just just calling it like it is. Um, but he he showed some serious grit in that match. Uh, it was a little bit disappointing to maybe not highlight the fact that like Nadal was also going through some stuff with that broken rib that Carlos Alcaraz basically broke, uh, which is also another insane thing to think about. But that Taylor, the, the Taylor portion of the episode, I thought was actually really, really neat and show how they, how he trains, what the conversations are before these matches in the doctor's room. Like that's something that we, that we crave as hardcore tennis fans. Like we want to see that really, really deep behind the scenes stuff. And then 
um well frank we'll get your thoughts on that and we'll talk a little bit about maria sakari also from from that episode because we can't forget that her story was also covered during california dreaming yeah i mean that was also very forgettable to be honest about the maria sakari <laughs> stuff unfortunately i feel like but... we have completely opposing tastes <laughs> but, and i you know, for what mm-hmm. it's worth i love maria sakari like i would have loved to see more from her but i'll get into that in a second um i agree more with marcus this was one of my favorite ones I think because it was actually, I think, the only episode so far where they picked a player who was actively like at the top of the game at this very moment, right? And I think that that was really interesting to see the run, as Marcus said, go through everything. But for me, actually, I think the most interesting part was hearing from Paul Anacone, who for some reason I did not realize was Taylor Fritz's coach. Um, I don't know why I was not aware of that, but yeah, that explains a lot as to why Taylor Fritz has made the sort of strides that he has over the past year. And, uh, I think he, he looked, he looked really good. I agree with you also. I think it was a little bit disingenuous to sort of not mention that Nadal had arguably just as bad of an injury, um, as Taylor Fritz did. But at the same time, this episode is actually like the main reason why that Nadal was not on the show because he was getting oh, this and the French Open episode uh, because he was getting injections like all the time. And he specifically did not want to be caught or not caught. It's perfectly legal to get injections but like he just he didn't wanted want to want the world showed. to see him like that yeah yeah he didn't want the world to see him like that's probably bad for the brand whatever it may be so um yeah i thought it was i thought it was really cool and i mean we spoke about this when it happened last year but i think it was a real monumental moment for american tennis because this is like the closest any american has come to winning a grand slam uh i mean indian wells is probably the fifth biggest tournament and Taylor won it as a hometown kid, which is really, really awesome. So yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I like Fritz a lot. Um, so I, I think it's cool. And yes, I agree with Marcus. He does in fact look like uh, a Chad. See, so yeah, to me, he looked like an early 2000s rom-com douchebag. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> He looks like the guy that sucks in the rom-com. <laughs> Whoa. He's the I will say, yeah, looks like a sixty, like a fifties, sixties, like slicked back hair. Hollywood the middle movie part, star. I Come cannot. <laughs> oh, I will say, I did enjoy his coach as well. I was like, I need to hire that man to be my therapist because I, I liked all the like tid, the psychological tidbits that he was giving um, throughout the episode about just like not being so hard on yourself, but. Um, I feel like in terms of you said, Frankie, that you like that it portrayed like a win and like him being at the the top of his level. And that's why like that episode was cool. I kind of liked that. I liked the episodes that focused on the losses and like reminded you how much losing is involved. And Taylor Fritz did make a comment about that being like, like, you know, 30 people lose every time or whatever, whatever that comment was that he said. So I was like, pretty much lose every week. I appreciated that too. Like I appreciated the loser's perspective (laughs) watching these episodes Yeah, just because it is like so common. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's something that we, even on the like hardcore tennis fan level, forget a lot. 
but is a really good thing to sort of remember as tennis players, each of us, right? Is like, even on the professional side, these guys lose every week. Like, if you're winning more matches than you're losing, like, you are an elite level tennis player for the most part. So that's, I think that's like a really important frame of mind to sort of have. So I, I agree with, I, I actually do agree with you, Shelby. I think that is a very um, interesting and good, and good point. Um, so we're going to shift on over to uh, Maria Sakari, who was the other part of this episode. And I just personally, maybe it's not that I didn't, I, I, A, I didn't really think what they showed was very interesting, to be honest with you. Um, B, I think I have the same problem that I had with the earlier episodes where the focus of this part of the WTA season should be Iga Fiontek. She won 33 matches in a row or something crazy like that. Six tournaments in a row, including the Sunshine Double of here and of uh, at Indian Wells and in Miami. <clears throat> and it feels a little disingenuous to not really mention the fact that that is going on right now. <laughs> um, so I, I and I know that she appears later in the series, I, I believe. So I, I question like the the order that's going on. Um, but. Uh, I love Maria Sakari. I actually wish that I just would have gotten a little bit more, I think is is my main issue. Like, I don't think that there was enough. It just kind of seemed like a little bit of an afterthought because they originally intended this to be 50% about Fritz and 50% about Sakari. And then Fritz won the tournament and they were just like, uh, we're going to make this like 80% about Fritz and it's going to be like 20% about Sakari. Yeah, it was very surface level stuff with Sakari. I mean, they went into a little bit about her psychology and like why she reacts a certain way and how come she yells at her box and, you know, she wanted to quit tennis. And um, I don't know if you guys also pick this up, but at least in two episodes, I've seen players after losing matches just tell their coaches like, yeah, I'm quitting. Like, I'm just going to quit. And then like three days later, they're like, OK, when are we training again? And yeah, I don't know. If, I have, I've I noticed that as well. Yeah, I don't know if that's like. Is that just you being dramatic in the moment or is something really going on? Like, I can't tell. Because, um, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I've had those thoughts like, oh, man, I just want to quit tennis. Like, after losing a, a lot or, you know, you have a rough time. But, like, at the same time, like, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they also use part of the show just to act a little bit. You know what I mean? Show some certain scenes like, oh, I'm going to quit tennis. This is so hard. And then three days later, like, all right, like, when are we training again? Also, very interesting coach that Maria Sakari has. Um, this guy just seems like he's just a really good, like, therapist type <laughs> guy. I don't know how much, like, his tennis acumen. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm offending him. I have no idea. I think also the key to remember with Maria Sakari is that her parents are both tennis players, and her mom, particularly, is like one of the best, is like, Very good. was the best Greek tennis player ever pre Sitsipas and Sakari. So, like, I think she already has that in her corner from her family. So, I do think that she is more looking for like the psychological component from her coaches, which is something that like Iga Sviantek has highlighted a lot, um, like in interviews and stuff that like she has like um, a mental coach and like that is like a very important part of her. Uh, team so it's not surprising and I think that you're going to probably see a lot more players start to shift to that model of having um, like more of a mental based coach rather than like an X's and O's kind of guy if that makes sense yeah I feel like that's cool um, 
that like I because I I personally like didn't know that they had more like psychological coaches or whatever like therapy kind of like coaches but I enjoyed that. I I wrote down. I love how Maria is like manifesting destiny. She keeps being like, I want to be number one. And I was like, you go, girl. I want that for you, too. (laughs) Um, And I also like how when she quit, she was like, yeah, I just was like on a Greek island. And I was like, "Okay, yeah, maybe I should come back to tennis. (laughs) I was like, "Okay, that's beautiful. Like as soon as he said that, like oh, I was on the Greek. I was like, of course, I was like, of course, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah, a nameless Greek island. I was like, that's beautiful. I love that. <laughs> I mean, like that is always why I've said like Italian players, Greek players, like it's got to be really tough because you know you you go on vacation after winning <laughs> millions of dollars potentially, and you just like live like a king on like a beach in the Mediterranean. Like it's it's not too bad. I don't really know how much motivation I would have to (laughs) return back to this grinding, miserable tour. But, you know, it it was cool. I I mean, I I love Sakari, but I again, I just I wish it was a little bit more uh, deeper in the weeds because it felt like it was just like one of those like 10 minute ATP or WTA, like get to know you things, you know, that you see on YouTube. It, It didn't feel like it was much different than that. Um, Shelby, you are going to be the main explainer reaction for this next episode, because admittedly, Marcus and I really, I mean, at least myself, I don't have a ton to add here. Mm-hmm. Episode four titled Great Expectations is about Ans Jabor and Paula Bedosa. And I will mainly just say my thoughts on the Jabor stuff, because I don't really have much to add on Bedosa. It, it, I don't really get too much out of it, to be honest. But the Jabor stuff, again, I think Anz Jabor is a really, really fascinating character. We've spoken about her on the podcast before. And I think that she is really one of the unique players that forget carrying, you know, a country on their shoulders, which is what you could argue that like a guy like Sitsipas does and what, um, you know, like so we've, we've seen that like before, right, where there's like a one off player from from a country you know, Jabor is carrying a, an entire race ethnic group in like the Arab world. And she's carrying an entire continent of, of Africa. So it's, it's really, really fascinating to get more insight on her. And I'm, I'm glad that they did give her the platform and it was cool to see her win Madrid, obviously too. So I, I, this episode, the Jabor parts I thought were very interesting and were by far the best of the women's, uh, side of this series that we've seen definitely was the best. Yeah, I agree. Um, I love how the episode with two women and you guys don't have that many thoughts. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, yeah, I like, I, I love Jabor. Um, so I loved that part. I also love Bedosa. Um, but, but the Jabor, uh, like half of the episode, um, I just love when people don't come from money. I love like her wanting to have everyone um, where she's from again, like Tunisia, Tunisia. Um, Yep. Tunisia. Tunisia. Yeah. I liked that she wanted her whole team um, to be from Tunisia too. And and that she like took those risks. Um, Cause I feel like we often hear about tennis players that just like come from tons of money and I also liked that that narrative in particular with Madrid um because 
it uh it was her up against Pagula, right? In the final. Um yeah, and and Pagula is literally like the children a, a, a child of billionaires. A literal billionaire. Exactly. So I was like I Shout out to the Buffalo Bill. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was like billionaires should not exist. The only billionaire should be Rihanna. And even her we don't really talk about. <laughs> but um but yeah, I just I loved that narrative and I definitely felt the most like personally attached to Jabur after that episode as far as um, the rest of the episodes and the rest of like the stories from from the players. I'm going to speak a little to the Bedosa part. I also don't think it was that interesting, to be honest. The only thing that I would say that was important is, I guess, to highlight the aspect of mental health on in the tennis world um, that doesn't get spoken about too often. We usually associate it with someone like a Nick Kyrgios who's very open about it and kind of talks about it. Um, or maybe, you know, the Marty Fish documentary, people who like come out and really just say like, hey, listen, this is going on. Paula, we had like really kind of no idea what was going on there. And especially on the women's side when there's a lot of expectations and you're playing in home country. I thought it was important to highlight. Um, I thought they could have made this episode like a three part thing where they went over like three different scenarios. Maybe you spend a little time on Bedosa, but like less time. Definitely, I loved, absolutely loved the Jabor part. I can't agree with you guys more. I think that was so cool how she has a full Tunisian team, came from, you know, nothing really. And she's got all of Africa and Arab women. It's really amazing. Like, that was so cool. And also, I love, I love watching her play tennis. She has such a unique game, not only just for, like, a women's tennis player, just for a tennis player in general. Very classical, lots of drop shots, like, super crafty. I thought they could have definitely gone over, I mean, if you, you got to go over Carlos Alcrez. I mean, he's beating Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic. That's something that we're missing from this tournament. Uh, and Zverev, Frank, right? It, and Zverev. And Zverev. Good point. Yeah, three and, in a row. Nuts. And he, you know, three in a row. Uh, Iga also just killing people there. I thought they could have done a little bit more with this episode. It definitely would have brought a little bit more hype because that was like one of the most hype weeks in tennis of the year. And I feel like we were kind of let down. But like if you're going to do an episode of Madrid, include that. You know, maybe shoot something else for Bedosa and maybe make it more about her there. But I thought this was just not the right time and place to just make it just about them two. I thought they could have packed more in there. I I think, in fairness, <clears throat> the perspective that Shelby had earlier is very true, right? I think that they are trying to show more of the downs. Like, they're trying to show how these players react to the losses. And this, obviously, being her hometown, like, tournament, her losing was was devastating. Like, a really tough loss to take, um, especially to someone who's a doper, I might add. Let's uh, throw that in, too. At Patrick Mortuglu? Yeah, another one. No comment. Um, oh, by the way, but, when, tell me, tell me that. Please tell me you had the same reaction when his face showed up on this show. I was like, of course, of course, it won't almost, the show be without him. I mean, I almost threw a tomato at the screen. <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I agree. I think the Jabor part was really interesting, and and I think what makes it really, really, and this is a common theme that's going to happen for all of them. The most interesting ones to me are the ones where I'm seeing their family. And I'm meeting their family and I'm seeing what their life is like outside of tennis. That's the really interesting content that we're looking for. Um, and Jabor gave us that with like her trainer, that's her husband. And, you know, like all these cool things. Like I, 
it was like that was really really compelling stuff to me uh that i think made this the jabor part as good as it was and maybe made the bedosa part not quite as um compelling uh, to me so but yeah i mean it was i overall definitely it was nice that there was a specifically devoted uh, women's episode as well. I thought that was that was um, I thought that was very nice, um, especially I, considering and considering how little we got of Sakari in the previous episode. Yeah, yeah, I liked that, and I also um, my my summary of this episode was um, hot girls have acne. <laughs> I loved the lack of makeup. <laughs> Just <laughs> it was very uh, yeah. As someone who. No, as someone who has had very bad skin for most of their life and had to go on Accutane, which anyone who has had acne and is familiar with Accutane knows how much that that sucks. I thought Frank um, was going to say as someone who's hot and has acne. No, no, yeah. no, not quite, not quite. Um, it is good to see. I think that's a very, I think that's a very true point, Shelby. Um, and I agree with it very, very much. Um, because Accutane does just just the worst. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of stress associated with all that too. Oh yeah, probably contributes. Yeah. 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 So, um, anyway, let's go on to episode five, the last episode of part one here, which is the King of Clay. This is mainly about, um, Felix Auger Aliasim with a taste of Casper Rude in there, uh, which is kind of surprising considering, uh, Casper Rude did in fact make the final of Roland Garros, but we didn't really get too much about him. But the commonality between both of these guys, and this is really the most interesting part of the episode, is they are both Rafael Nadal Academy players, who subsequently did, in fact, lose to Rafa Nadal at this tournament. Um, so, Marcus, there was a lot of controversy with this episode, particularly with Uncle Tony um, electing to not be uh, in Felix's box and subsequently say out in public that he wants his nephew to win. Uh, I know you and I had differing perspectives on this, but uh, I would love to uh, to hear your and Shelby opinion. My opinion on it when I saw it first was I lost a lot of respect for Tony Nadal. And that's coming from someone who absolutely respected Tony Nadal to the utmost because he is one of the most legendary coaches and tennis figures in tennis. But this episode I completely lost a lot of respect because there's just no way that you can have a professional relationship with a player and a professional contract and not fulfill your duty. And that is part of the professional relationship. So if you know in advance and, and it's not like he knew, you know, he knew that Rafa's still playing. So there's going to be a time where FA and the dollar are going to play each other. Um, and the fact that not only one, he goes out in public and says, I want to root for an adult, which is just, I mean, that is just outrageous. Don't you think to yourself, like, I mean, if he thought that like privately and said to himself, you know what? Yeah. Like deep down inside, he wants Rafa to win. I get it. But you do not go out publicly and tell the public that you want your player to lose just because the other one is your nephew. That's one. Two, you have a professional relationship with FAA. He is paying you lots of money to coach him and to make sure that he wins. That is your job. Feelings cannot get in the way of this. That is also ridiculous. And three, the fact that you don't even sit in the box and that you withhold information from him is like, I mean, mind-blowing for a coach. I mean, just imagine if you're like an NBA player 
or an NBA coach, right? And your son is on the other team. Are you going to tell your guys, be like, listen, I can't coach you guys today because my son's over there and I want him to win. Would that ever happen in any professional sport, soccer, baseball, basketball, football? No, that would never, ever happen. I lost so much respect for Tony Nadal just from that one incident that is absolutely outrageous and FA should have fired him on the spot, to be honest. <laughs> it's nice that you have such a calm collection <laughs> and uh, very non-inflammatory opinion. Shelby, let's hear your opinion. That's so funny. Um, I have the opposite opinion. Um, well, I... I <laughs> he's so mad at me. <laughs> um... Uh, well, I, I thought it was interesting because I was like, it's your it's your nephew. It's literally Nadal. He's an absolute legend. It's not just any old nephew. I feel like um, your example with um, like a basketball team or football team, it's like those are teams like tennis is uniquely a solo sport. Um, so it's like it, there's not really like comparison there in my mind. Um I also just thought the way that they set that up was very funny because they made it seem like everyone was pissed at, at Tony Nadal, which like they were or whatever, like everyone's inflammatory. And then it cut to Felix like super quick before that match being like, yeah, it was cool. I like understood why he did that or whatever. <laughs> so it's like funny that they were like, literally the whole world is mad. And Felix was just like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Um, I don't know. I didn't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that if your nephew is literally an adult like if it was i don't know someone else maybe that's more shelby <laughs> let me let me ask you a question. let me ask you a question uh, and, okay. and, one, and one more thing and one more thing on tony also how you're so not only do you not choose to sit in his box for the match right and you choose not to sit in rafa's either okay fine you neutrally watch it for four sets, and then all of a sudden it goes to a fifth set, and you leave the stadium. I what see. a chicken! So, Marcus, what a, so Marcus, Marcus, you're, you're getting into what my opinion is. So I hadn't addressed I, that one yet. For Shelby, <laughs> one more thing for Shelby. Right. Oh no! no, no, no. Oh Shelby, no! Shelby gets to keep going. <laughs> no, Shelby, no, 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 no! If you, Marcus, Shelby, yeah. if you are a professional athlete, like put yourself, you played tennis, right? You played singles matches, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. okay. I have. So you, are, you, you hire a world-class coach who you are paying lots of money to coach you and make sure that you are achieving your best and you are about to set the play against his or her nephew or niece. And they're like, yeah, sorry, I can't do it today, even though you're paying me like millions of dollars to coach you. How would you feel about that? I think I can't separate the fact that it's Nadal if if I were playing like it doesn't matter. <laughs> an that's, absolute that's the legend, thing. it really yeah, doesn't but, matter. But Marcus, and Tony, and Tony you're is leaving out you're, a professional. You're, Marcus, Marcus, you're leaving out Am a leaving very out? important piece of information, which mm -hmm. is that pre their agreement of Tony becoming his coach, Tony said, I'm not gonna coach you against my nephew. Oh. And like that was a key thing that Felix did mention as to why he didn't care. It was known and like that was a boundary that Tony did establish. However, the things that I think Tony did wrong, one, publicly say it out loud. I agree with Marcus on that. He should have just said, I will not be participating in this next match due to an agreement that I have with Felix. I find it really hard to coach against my nephew like this. So I'm going to just take a back seat and, you know, I'll be happy with whoever wins. That's what he should have said. But secondly, 
I actually think the even bigger deal, to be honest, is him going to the match and leaving after the fourth set. I think that that was a massive, massive distraction for Felix, number one, and for Nadal, to be honest. But like in this case, we're looking at it from Felix's perspective, massive distraction for Felix. And he would have just been better off not going to the match at all. Because if at least if he doesn't go to the match at all, we can at least say like, okay, Tony truly just does not want this to be about himself. And he is just, you know, he, he's very conflicted. It's a big conflict of interest. I get that, right? To Shelby's point, which I agree with, tennis is an individual sport. It's not a team sport. So the situations that you're talking about, Marcus, I, I just don't think are apples to apples. It's, it's just not the same. So... But instead, by Tony Nadal going to that match and subsequently leaving after the fourth set, he is making it about himself. And this match should have nothing to do with him. And instead, it became about him. And that, I think, is why this was my favorite episode of the entire series so far, is because that is something that is like the juicy side of tennis that we don't, that doesn't really necessarily have to do with like playing and like the on court action itself, which, by the way, it was a great match, five sets. But it's like these behind-the-scenes looks is why this this um, this documentary should exist in the first place. And for me, this was the first glimpse as to like the potential that this show has in comparison to some of these other episodes that we've seen so far. I don't recall hearing about this agreement that Tony made. I don't think they showed that in the episode. Did yeah, they? they did. No, they did. He he said. I specifically remember him saying that. When she, when Felix at the end, the part that Shelby is mentioning, when Felix said, like, yeah, it's all good, like, Felix said, like, it's because Tony said it from the onset. Um, so I, I believe that that was, like, a prearranged thing that they had. But listen, I don't think that it was handled very well. Like, I still, like, the two things I just said, I don't think that Tony Nadal handled this particularly perfectly. Um, and I think that, like, to be honest, as a player... If I was a player like on the professional tour, I would never train at Rafa Nadal Academy or whatever it may be, because that's an active player on the tour that is at the top of the game. Like, I'm going to go up against you at that point. And like, why on earth would your academy pick to help me more than it would pick to help you? <laughs> a, you're paying everybody. And B, like, your name is on the academy list. So... Yeah, and it, see, that's what I mean. Like, it's just like, like it's a very conflicting thing, and like I, that's why I, I don't know how I feel about like active players having academies like this. You know, it just this is like a perfect example of why I think it's bad. And that's also doubling kind of down on my point is that it's like FAA's given him all this money. All of a sudden, yeah, you want to bring me up, you want to take my money, you want to make me better, cool, cool, cool. And then when it comes to it's like, oh, okay, now you don't now you don't want to help me anymore because now I'm playing the doll. But don't that, you think that's, that that's FAA's fault, not Tony Nadal's fault? Like, no, I, I think, think that's of that Nadal's as FAA. Fault. I think of that as FAA's fault. Like, you are hiring somebody who is the uncle of one of your competitors, who is like the active coach of an academy that is run by one of your competitors. It just doesn't make sense to me. If FAA knew, and I'm, I need, I need, I need to watch the episode again, and I need to get more facts before I take my take back at all because apparently if he did really mention to him hey listen if you ever play against rafa i will not coach you for that match and they were cool with that arrangement that's totally different that's totally different i just don't think that even even if with that arrangement that really shouldn't be the case because you're paying him all this money and this is where you really need him 
um, that's just my opinion, just from a professionalism perspective that it, you got to take emotions out of it. But yeah, do I think that players should be compete, you know, training at other players' academies? Honestly, Frank, that could be a whole nother podcast because that is yeah. a very, very interesting topic. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. So we will not be putting him to the back burner. We have not forgotten about him. He is our lovely Norwegian um, love. Um, and <laughs> Norwegian shout, love. Out, shout out to our listener, uh, Clara, who has DM'd us about Scandinavian tennis. Um, we're going to talk about Casper Root here a little bit. Casper um, Root is somebody who Marcus and myself have really tried to emphasize for everybody because he just doesn't get enough love. And he ends up going on a run, obviously, to the Roland Garros final where he gets absolutely battered Murdered. by Nadal. Um, and again, you have this weird situation where Casper Ruud is a member of the Rafa Nadal Academy and trains there and like is playing Rafa Nadal himself. And it's just a little bit weird. But obviously, Casper has his own coaches, including his former his his dad and former ATP world number 39, Christian Rude. So it's like a little bit different. But at the same time, um, again, like it just it's just a little bit weird. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear what both of you have to think about the Casper Rude part of this episode. Main part for me was that I mean, the French just kept Frenching there with not letting him practice and then continuing to speak to him in French, even though they know he doesn't speak French. I mean, this is the most French thing ever. That's, yeah, French Open. Come on, people. Yeah, I I love Casper Rude. I don't know. Like, does he not get enough love? I love him. No. <laughs> I think he he's amazing. Not, he's absolutely rip him. I does not get enough love. Oh, my God. He deserves it. Yeah, he does. I think he's lovely. I thought it was, again, I feel like I, I, I mean, Nadal is obviously like one of my all-time favorite players, so I'm automatically always going to be okay with the like weird stuff, like the academy comment or, or the coach comment because I love him. But I, I thought that match was like, I don't know. I, I thought it was adorable. I was like, you're a student. He absolutely destroys you. It's like, I don't know. I, I remember watching that on TV so and just being like, oh, <laughs> you can't yeah, mean it all. <laughs> yeah, but they, but you're right. But that's exactly why it's a problem. Yeah. Is because Casper's going to go into that match, even though he's a legitimate top five player in the world, mm -hmm. goes into that match and is just like, oh, this is the guy that literally runs the academy I go to. I'm about to get whipped. And it's like an, like another level of psychological like crap for a player like Casper to come over in a game that already has too much psychological crap. Like so you're already like, playing Rafa Nadal in a Roland Garros final. And in Philippe Chatrier. Like you're already like you are literally taking on the hardest task <laughs> that we possibly have in tennis. You are already doing that. And it's like, yeah, let's add this in too. It just, it sucks, but you know, <laughs> it's fine. Um, I, this episode, this part of the episode also touched upon some of the stuff relating to um, where a player is from and how that matters in um, the sponsorships that they get and, and the type of media attention. And um, because of our listener who, who asked us about like Scandinavian tennis as a whole, 
I wanted to just briefly touch upon this before we do like a more formal episode. I think that a lot of the Scandinavian tennis players are not getting enough, uh, really attention. Um, and that includes somebody like a Holger Rune, for example, who I think played really, really has played really, really well at this Australian open so far and is really not being talked about very much. Um, and Casper Root is like a perfect example. I think because that area of the world is known for having players and people who are not quite as like outwardly emotional and fiery and like a lot of the stuff that like as a viewer you like to see, right? Like this goes back to even like somebody like Bjorn Borg versus John McEnroe, right? Um, I think that sometimes the Scandinavian players don't get enough respect and hype as maybe they they should. Um, and Casper Root is like a perfect example of that because a, he's like the nicest guy on the tour, like continuously there's, you could look it up on YouTube. He has so many moments where he like gives a player like a first serve off of, you know, some crap that a fan said, like he does that all the time. He's like a super sweet guy. So I think that Casper just does not get enough attention and, and he has been chronically underrated, including by myself and Marcus, I might add, um, mm -hmm. And, and, and he deserves to be considered a top five player in the world because he is a top five player in the world, not just because he's winning, you know, the 250 level events, which ironically he did mention in the episode, by the way. Like, it's so amazing. Yeah, yeah. And he's a two-time Grand Slam finalist. I mean, you can't take that away from him. Like, that's something that is in, an incredible accomplishment. Two different surfaces. Of, two different surfaces, Two different too. surfaces. One of them we didn't expect. And we had, I mean, Frank and I especially have, like, picked at least, like, three or four players ahead of him to make two slam finals at least. So the fact that he's already done that, very, very impressive. And yeah, you're right. He does not get the love that, that he deserves. Um, he's also not like just from his style in terms of tennis, also not the sexiest looking tennis player, just kind of a really hard worker, um, very bare bones, but like just basic, but like just works really hard and, and, and fights a lot for his matches, which is not something that's as marketable. So, yeah, he's only going to get that kind of love. And, and also, you know, Sweden historically is also a massive tennis country, right? They're a the powerhouse. Borgs, They're top the five. Edbergs. Yeah, top five powerhouse. Historically. Yeah. Not at the moment, unfortunately, but historically, yeah. Nor Norway is, I mean, it's pretty much just him and his dad in terms of tennis. So the, it's not really popular at all. Here's one for Shelby, too, right? Speaking of the sponsorship stuff. Let me ask you, who is... Um, Felix Algeral Yassim's clothing sponsor. Is it not Nike? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. You're right. Okay. Um, I think it's. I believe it's Nike. It might be Adidas, but I, I think it's sure Adidas. It's, oh. It is Adidas. Okay. It's always Nike yeah. or Adidas. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That's, no, but that's, you're going to make my point. Rafa Nadal, who is his sponsor? Nike. Carlos Alcaraz, who is his Nike. sponsor? Nike. It's all Yannick, Nike. Yannick Sinner, Nike. Yeah. Um, Stefano Sitsipas, he's Adidas. He's Adidas. Yeah. <laughs> Who is Casper Root's clothing sponsor? Oh, it's like uh, that weird logo. Right? Anyone know? <laughs> exactly. Asics? Asics? This is, this is a no, top no. <laughs> three. This is just top three player in the world. And his clothing Yonics? sponsor is Arctic. 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 Oh, yeah. Which is Yonics. a... I, <laughs> where's Yonix clothing? I said, I know. No, oh, is it Yonix said... clothing? But it's art, but he's got like no, Arctic. Yonic... Like, that's, 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 just, that's just on the Does sleeve. Does Yonix that's make not clothing? his clothing sponsor. All right, let me check. Oh but, wait, then I nailed yeah. it because I he, said Yonix. But yeah, yes, like, he wears he, he wears Yonix, but he's sponsored by Arctic, like okay. yeah, on the side. Yeah. But either way, like you understand Random, like, the yeah. point that I'm making here. Like 
he's not getting like the premium tier like clothing sponsors. And neither um, is despite being top five. Neither is Ega, right? Ega is Asics. Asics. She's the face of Asics. She always just looks. See, I feel like if you're in the top five, you gotta like you gotta be a fashion icon at that point. And if not, you're just Ega being number one and not having iconic style is like a huge loss to me <laughs> personally. Because I feel like that's your moment to be able to even like personalize your own outfit different from everybody else. Like, I'm just like, come on, you gotta have I a personality. I think it's tough to live up to the Serena standard that Serena has set. But also Naomi Osaka and Coco Goff. There's so many women that have like really fun, cool style. They- yeah, but Ika gets Ws. You, what do you think about <laughs> Nick Kyrgios' style? How's that? I love it. He always looks amazing. I am truly disappointed to not have been on the first episode, reviewing the first two episodes of this of this series because Berrettini and Kyrgios are are my two guys. Those are my faves. Well, in fairness, Berrettini is yeah. a model. Like he's, he's actually like he he should be and he is a model. Berrettini, if you're listening, my phone number is seven seven zero. Hit me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's a he's a good looking guy. He is my mom Ooh. and sister's favorite tennis player, as well as Marcus's mom's favorite my, tennis my player. My grandma's favorite tennis player. She's always That's like true. the handsome Italian is on television. <laughs> I would have loved to seen Shelby's reaction to the Matteo Ajla episode now that they're broken up. Oh, yes. I was living for that. I was like, look at how bored they are. They're watching a little show on the laptop. They don't, they don't even care what they're watching. The room is messy. No. I love Curious and Coasting because they like look like they're having so much fun. They're happy. But Berrettini, I was like, you got to move on. <laughs> oh, boy. Well... I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, Shelby, where can the listeners find out more info about you? About me? Um, My Instagram is at Shelby Slower. Apparently, every time I say my last name, people think it's Flower. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Shelby Slower. I have a website. That's that's my name. It's 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 on it's on the internet. <laughs> yeah, and if you're interested in some lovely comedy shows specifically, you should give Shelby a follow because Shelby it turns out is a lovely um comedic writer. So, uh be sure to check those out as well, which was all on her Instagram. Uh Shelby is spelled S H E L B Y S and her last name Slower is S L A U E R. I get that right? Nailed it. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> Um, so yeah, be sure to give her a follow, check her out, check out all of her content. Uh, and then from Marcus and I's end, as usual at breakpoint podcast seven across all your social channels, and you can go on to podpage.com forward slash break dash point dash podcast, and you will see all of our content episodes. Everything is there as well as you could just go on to any of our social channels, ch- click on the link tree and you'll have all of the links pop up. Uh, and that is going to do it from us. So. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye.